It's very weird to go from praying to talking about Robin Leach. Some of you know who that is. Uh, For 11 years, he had a show called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, like 1984 to 1995. And and that show, like the title suggests, um, was all about rich and famous people. So Robin Leach would show up at their mansions and, and tell you about how they made their money and show you about how they lived, right? And oftentimes by a resort area where someone could say, hey, you, you too can go to sunny California and go to this resort, right? Um, maybe a more modern version of that show is MTV's Cribs, where you had a bunch of famous people and they would show you their mansion or, or something like that. Um, why are shows like that appealing? I think, honestly, and and you guys are like, what in the world is he doing? I honestly think Nickelback probably has the best answer for that. Some of you don't know about Nickelback. They are a uh, rock band, um, and they get made fun of a lot. But they have a song called Rockstar. I don't suggest listening to it because it's it's hedonism. But they say, we all just want to be big rock stars, right? And they talk about the allurement of the world, where... Uh, we, want, we want cars, we want a bathroom that's big enough to play baseball in. I love baseball, like that would be kind of cool. But I do think so. I, I think the shows like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, MTV's Cribs, I think those shows are so appealing because of our flesh, because we want to live according to our flesh. Maybe you don't want to be a rock star. Maybe when you were growing up, you wanted to be a professional athlete or a singer, actress. Uh, maybe even right now, you just want the acceptance and the adoration of others around you. For most of us, though, this world is appealing. Money can't buy happiness. We know that. But it can buy everything else underneath the sun. And so money is just one of those areas in which we think if we had more money, man, I would be happy. I would have joy. Or if I just had that relationship, I would have joy. Or if I had that position at work, I would have joy. And we buy into this idea of the world that things and walking according to the flesh can make us happy, that life is really about big fancy houses or cars or adoration from people, or the enjoyment of the world, or power, or sex, or whatever else. And and we, we try to find all of our joy and all of our contentment in those things, and that where joy is really rooted in the Lord. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Sintichi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That's the reading of God's word. And this portion of scripture is really tied to last week's message as well. Um, There's a lot there that Paul's trying to get at, but he's getting at the idea that we are called to be gospel citizens. It goes all the way back to the earlier part of the letter in Philippians 1.27. And so we, again, haven't been there in a couple weeks. So if you just flip over a couple pages, look at Philippians 1.27. This is the first command in Philippians. And Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so with that idea, Paul goes on the rest of Philippians talking about how we can walk worthy of the gospel and have joy rooted in the Lord. But you and I read that passage and we read Philippians and we have a very narrow view that just Chase Ringler is called to be a gospel citizen. I just need to worry about Chase Ringler being a gospel citizen or fill in your name. But, but what Paul's talking about, and he even says it in 127, that it's supposed to be together, striving side by side. I, I was watching a football game yesterday, I forget who it was, but they, they came out of their tunnel, and you know those, those captains and these big offensive linemen, they're all locked in arms, and they just walked out. They just broke through their little tunnel thing, and they just all walked out together. They were linked arm in arm. They're ready to go play that football game, right? Well, that's how you and I are supposed to be. We're called to be locked arm in arm together to be gospel citizens. And so with that, intentionally so, I have incorrect grammar in our big idea. Our big idea is y'all are called to be gospel citizens. Y'all are called to be gospel citizens. If I just put you, then you think it's singular. So I say y'all, and I know in the South that can still be singular, but no, in the North we know y'all is plural. Together, we are called to be gospel citizens. We're called to live for Jesus together. So what what is a gospel citizen? Well, a gospel citizen looks different from the world because our ultimate goal as gospel citizens is different than the world. The world wants to walk according to the flesh. The world wants to walk according to whatever makes you happy. You do you. That's not what we're about as Christians. What we're about is walking in the manner worthy of Jesus Christ. What we're about is loving one another, even when it's hard. The world says, just give up. But Christ says, no, don't give up on each other. There's a different goal. Our goal is not to please ourselves. The, the world's goal, ultimately, it doesn't matter who their God is, who they worship. The world is all about pleasing self. Who we as gospel citizens who we're to be about is pleasing Jesus Christ. And so as we look at our text this morning, we see verse 15 and 16. And how we can be a gospel citizen is first and foremost by pursuing Christ. We can only be gospel citizens as we pursue Jesus. Because as we were reminded about last week, that Jesus, Christ Jesus has made us his own. 
Paul says that in verse 12 of chapter 3. Jesus made us his own. So not only do we belong to Jesus, but Jesus belongs to us. And so we're called to pursue Christ. Now I told you our passage today is tied to our passage last week. In our passage last week, we had the big idea that a life of true joy comes from knowing Christ. A life of true joy comes from knowing Christ. So if there's joy in Christ, it's not only makes sense to pursue Christ, it's really for our benefit to pursue Christ. It's for our joy that we can pursue Jesus. So Paul's going to flesh that out a little more. How can we know Christ and have that peace and joy in him? So he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What way is he talking about when he says that? He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. What does that mean? Well, Paul had just gotten done about talking about how he had put all his confidence in the flesh and what he did. And, and then he says, that's not how we live in Christ. We don't put our confidence in our own self-righteousness. In fact, our own self-righteousness is a big pile of manure, right? That's what Paul says. Instead, we put our confidence and we put our fight for Jesus in him. We put our confidence not in the flesh, but in Jesus, and so we pursue him. And so Paul says, let those of us who are mature, if you want to be mature, this is how you need to think. You need to think that I'm not going to put my confidence and my joy in who I am and what I do, but my joy and my confidence is going to be in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done. And so as we mature in Christ, that's where we end up. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. Paul already says that he's not perfect. But we need to think this way. What Paul's really talking about here is a real and vital relationship with Jesus. As verse 10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. A couple weeks ago, I talked about uh, the old commercial, the old Gatorade commercial, Like Mike, Right? And people would sing the song, you know, sometimes I dream that he's me. And, and then you see Michael Jordan and he's doing his thing and, and all these little kids and even adults want to be like Michael Jordan. Well, that's weird <laughs> because people don't even have a relationship with Michael Jordan. But here, Paul says he wants to know Jesus, to have that relationship with Jesus, and then to be like Jesus. And that real and vital relationship then allows us to have joy in him. And Paul says that this relationship with Jesus is worth giving everything to. It's worth pursuing with all that you have. That's the mindset that Paul suggests here. And this is the mindset that those of us who are mature in Christ will have. But not all of us are mature in Christ, and Paul knows that. He says... If in anything you think otherwise, if you don't think this way, I'm pretty confident God will reveal that also to you. He's going to change your mind if you're in Jesus. You're going to start putting your confidence in Jesus instead of putting your confidence in self. That's what a gospel citizen becomes. Someone who has all their confidence in Jesus, all their joy in Jesus. 
But there are a lot of people who claim Jesus who don't put their confidence in Christ. I know this through counseling as a pastor and as a youth pastor and even just being a friend. I, I, um, I've had several young ladies who, who came in for counseling and, and their, their lives are just a mess and, and they try to find hope and joy in a relationship with a guy. And so they, they give their bodies, they, they sext, they do whatever, and they're broken. Why are they broken? Because they're finding their confidence, they're finding their worth, they're finding their joy in all the wrong places. And ultimately, that doesn't lead to hope, that doesn't lead to joy, that doesn't lead to confidence. It just leads to an overbearing guilt and shame and loneliness and guys do that too. Guys look for their joy and, and their peace and, and their fulfillment in relationships or in pornography. Why do they do that? Because they're trying to find ultimate satisfaction. They're trying to find ultimate joy in all the wrong places. It can be bad things, but it can be good things as well. Some people can find their joy and their confidence in just being a really good citizen. I've won the mayor's award. I get a little medallion saying I'm a really good person. People just build heaps and heaps of what Paul calls manure, saying I'm so great. But when we put our confidence in the flesh, we're going to be left lonely and guilt-ridden and empty. And Paul says this, okay, God's going to, if you're really in Jesus, God's going to reveal something to you that Jesus is worth everything. And so then he says in verse 16, only let us hold true to what we have attained. As, as we hold true to what we have attained, Paul's talking about sanctification. That's a big word. Let me explain it for you. Sanctification is at that point when we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're saved. Boom. But now we have the rest of our lives to live for him. And so God works in us through sanctification, but we're also called to work for God because we love him. And Paul says this, hold true to what you have attained. You have Jesus, keep loving Jesus pursue that relationship with Christ because Christ's salvation uh, Christ's salvation is free we don't work for our salvation in the sanctification process we don't work for him as, as to earn something like Jesus will only love me if I read my Bible and go to church and pray no, no, no. We, we read our Bibles, we go to church, we pray, we, we love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Not for salvation, but out of adoration, out of worship. So, this is a tall task. And how do we go from seeking our own interest, walking with confidence in who we are, and seeking the things of this world, to pursuing Christ out of worship, to, to loving Him? Well, Paul gives us a great example in verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So how do you pursue Christ? By looking at the examples of others. 
Paul knew the Philippian church well. And he says, guys, you know my life. You know how I've given my life to Jesus. Follow after me. He's already written about Timothy and Epaphroditus, two servants of Jesus who were willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. He says, follow those people. And then he says, there's there's others of you who are pursuing Jesus. You know who they are. Follow those people as they follow Jesus. Church history has given us a lot of fine examples of people to follow. A lot of fine people who have gone through really terrible tragedies, and yet they cling fast to Jesus. One of my, one of my heroes in the faith is Corrie Ten Boom. You know about her. Her family was rescuing Jews from the Holocaust during World War II when they were themselves taken captive and put in concentration camps. She was separated from her father, who she would never see again. He would die. And her sister Betsy died with her in the concentration camp. And those of you who know anything about history in World War II, you know those concentration camps were not good. Atrocities, atrocious things happened in those concentration camps. And yet Corrie ten Boom, instead of becoming bitter, leaned into the Lord more and found joy and confidence, not in, not in who she was and just being good, but she found joy in Christ. And then the Lord used what he did in her life after World War II for 25 years, 30 years, where she would travel the world and tell other people about the hope that they can have in Jesus. Corey ten Boom has a wonderful biography, actually a couple of them, and we have them in our church library. So if you want to know more about her, go read about her. It's a great lady. We have, we have, an, we have another great example out of a guy named C.T. Studd. Some of you don't know who he is, but C.T. Studd was a legitimate stud. He was the best cricket player in England of his day. Um, He had all sorts of pursuits. He, he He had the world at his fingertips, and he gave it all up to follow Jesus and be a missionary. He went through some really hard things. There's Adoniram Judson, who who lost two wives, many children, to go and give his life to Christ. I I could go on and on and on and on and on about church history and and people who provide great examples, but um, you can read about them in our church library. We have all those biographies and many more. But let me tell you about our church family. We have people right here in our church who love Jesus deeply. You, you want to know how to, to love Jesus through raising your children and, and love Jesus through being married? You, you can look at different people. I asked permission from a few people this morning to use them as examples, and I'm using them as examples of people like, you can look at these people and see how they're pursuing Christ, and they're not perfect, and they'll readily admit they are not perfect, but they love Jesus and they're walking after him. You can look at Billy and Jenny Little, and I asked Billy's permission, Jenny, so sorry. <laughs> They love Jesus. They love Jesus. They love their children well, and they're trying to lead them in, in a pursuit of Christ. You, you, you can look at, you want to see how to serve Jesus? Gordon Londini, he sits back at the sound booth almost every Sunday. He loves Jesus. He's been serving at this church for years. You want to know how to go through sickness and many years of marriage? And Vern, I asked Margaret for this. Look at Vern and Margaret Hoover. They love Jesus deeply. 
And they're pursuing Jesus deeply, even as Margaret's getting ready to go into heart valve surgery on Wednesday. Friends, we have so many other people I could point out and say, follow this person. They love Jesus. They're not perfect. But they provide us a great example of what it means to follow Jesus for real in this life. And they're sitting amongst us. You all, we are an imperfect church because we have imperfect people. But by the perfect grace of God, we are being perfected. And you and I, we need each other as Christ is working in us. That's how we pursue Christ. But how do we not pursue Christ? We see this in verse 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. There's so many great examples of what it looks like to pursue Christ. But there's even more examples of what it looks like to not pursue Christ. Um, Paul's talking here about probably the Judaizers and, and some others, some false teachers who have added things to Jesus. They've added things to the gospel. And when you add anything to Jesus, when you add anything to the gospel equation, you actually end up removing Jesus. You remove the gospel. And so these people were false teachers, and at one point they likely were great examples of what it meant to follow and run after Jesus. And the Philippian church looked at these people and said, yeah, man, they really love Jesus. And now they had walked away. And Paul's filled with tears. You and I, we know those type of people, right? Nationally, there's been some uh, what they call deconstruction of their faith. People just really just walking away from Jesus. Whether it's the nationally known pastor and author, Joshua Harris, who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye and a whole bunch of other things. Or Rhett and Link, who are YouTubers. Or Audrey Assad, who, who's a Christian singer. Well, was a Christian singer. Um, those, those national stories hurt us. But there's also a bunch of other stories where there's local leaders, whether it's pastors or just people in the church who we looked at and we said, man, they're really running after Jesus. And then come to find out they never knew Jesus at all. Or family and, and, and friends who we know, like, man, they did profess Jesus and they were praying right alongside of me and, and they were praying for me and they would, they would write, they're the ones that were writing me notes about following Jesus and now they're not even following Christ. And those things bring us to tears even now as it brought Paul to tear, tears about 2,000 years ago. Why do they do that? Some of those people in my life, I, I look at and I'm like, man, I would have put them in verse 17 of people to imitate. They were disciplined. They, they, some of them were pastors that I knew that they really loved Jesus. And like there was a lot of good things that were going on. But now they don't even cling Christ. Why does that happen? I don't have a ton of time to go over it. But John and 1 John would say they never knew Christ. And in verse 19 of Philippians 3, we know why they are not walking after Jesus. Because their gods are their belly. Now I looked at that and I'm like, that's kind of weird. Is it just talking about a bunch of like, fat guys or like people who are counting microcalories and doing abs or something? That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is 
how you and I get hungry. When we get hungry, generally, what do we do? We eat. We feed our belly, right? And so they have the desires of the flesh. They have these, their minds set on earthly things. And so what do they do? They, they go after whatever they want. Their gods are the fleshly desires that they have. So why do some people start off as these big-time pastors and then end up not even loving Jesus? Well, because they never loved Jesus in the first place. They, they, were, they were in it for the wrong reasons. They were in it for self, self-gratification. But the thing about the gospel is the gospel isn't about your self-gratification. It's about the glorification of God. And so people, people walk and they think, well, you know, Jesus is fire insurance. He saves me from hell, and so I'll just follow Jesus. But they don't really follow Jesus to know him. You see, how we pursue Christ is we pursue Christ for a relationship with Jesus, not just to get the fringe benefits of knowing Jesus. So they try to use Jesus, but he doesn't allow that. And they walk away from him. What's their ultimate what's their ultimate destination? It's destruction. Eternal destruction. We don't like talking about that, but even this morning in Sunday school as we were talking about Zephaniah, we understand this idea that the gospel is not void of repentance. In fact, if there's no repentance, there is no gospel. We must turn from serving the gods of our belly to turn to the God and to know him and to have a relationship with him. And so as gospel citizens, you and I are not called to pursue the things of this earth, the the fleshly desires, but instead we're called to continually pursue Jesus. And that pursuit of Christ is really, really hard because we live in this earth. We're born in this earth. Dagnabit, we're really good sinners. But guess what? Jesus is an even greater God. And so we see how not to pursue Christ. We see that they ultimately will, those who pursue the flesh, will be destroyed. And I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 1.18, where, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is kind of foolish, if you think about it. I mean, you're going to say the eternal God of the universe, the God who made every single thing, the God who has planets dripping from his fingertips, if you will, as the great artist and creator, you're going to say that he actually came down to earth to take on flesh like you and I, and that he subjected himself to being born of a virgin, and that he, that he grew up and he never, ever sinned, and then he went to the cross, and somehow all the sin of the world was brought on Christ, and then you're really going to tell me that he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death and the devil, things that aren't even tangible to us? And you're going to actually say that if we, if we just trust in Jesus, we can be eternally saved and have a relationship with the God of the universe? It does kind of sound ridiculous, but it's true. 
That's what the Bible teaches. That Christ Jesus did all of those things and provides a way that you and I can have a relationship with Him. And so yes, for some, it's foolishness because it's not instant gratification. And if we know anything about the culture of the United States right now, we love instant gratification. That's why there's so many McDonald's. Friends, if you are in Christ, you don't have to end up going down the path of destruction. Instead, you can go down the path of eternal life as a gospel citizen because our citizenship is in heaven. So uh, we're, we're called to pursue Christ, but why can we pursue Christ? Why can we be gospel citizens? Look at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. As gospel citizens, as people who are called to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, you and I don't belong to this world. I was reminded of um, the old Tom Hanks movie, The Terminal, right? He has some made-up uh, made country and has a civil war. He goes in, and, and, uh, and, and now their government isn't, isn't issuing passports, and he gets stuck in a terminal, I believe in New York City. He has no citizenship, and he's just stuck in an airport and just kind of goes on about the airport. You and I are not stuck anywhere. We're placed specifically where we're at right now for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we're foreigners. We're aliens, if you will, here on this earth. Not to live like this earth, not to, to desire the things of the flesh, to have our mindset on the earth, but our citizenship is in heaven, and so we are called to look upward and to think about the things of heaven, to look to Christ, to see how our lives can be used in a manner worthy of the gospel for God's glory. And we're enabled to do that because of what Jesus Christ has done. Some of you... Um, are self-professed nerds, and you know, you know things about comics. Well, I'll tell you what. My favorite superhero growing up was Superman. Why? Because really nothing could beat him up, except kryptonite. Like, he had that one thing, right? But Superman, he never lost. And I think we're a lot like Superman. Superman didn't belong to the earth. He looked like everybody else, but he had powers to prove that he wasn't like everybody else, right? And I really wish I could fly, right? <laughs> Who wouldn't want to do that? Superhuman strength, that'd be nice, but flying, that'd be the best. And because he wasn't from this world, because he had those powers, what was he to do? He needed to live his life differently. He had a responsibility to protect others. You and I don't have a responsibility to protect others, but you and I are called to live differently. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, you and I no longer belong to this world, but we belong to a different world. We belong to heaven. 
We're called to live as gospel citizens because of what Jesus Christ has done. And you say, well, that's really hard. Superman had a perfect body. He had super strength. He had super speed. He had x-ray vision. He had lasers shooting out of his eyes. He could fly. Guess what? My body's breaking down. My body's the struggle bus. How am I supposed to live in a manner worthy of the gospel when I'm just trying not to go to doctor's appointments all the time, right? Friends, sometimes life gets hard. Understatement of the year. But we're called to continue on in the hope of Jesus Christ. And one day, because of what Jesus Christ has done, he's going to transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We have a hope. There's a light at the end of our tunnel. And not just a light at the end of our tunnel, there's a light that dwells in us. We talked about Colossians last year, and I think almost to the day we were talking about how Christ dwells in us. Christ, the hope of glory, is in us. We don't have to fear what life throws our way. Our God dwells in us. Our God will one day make all things new, including our struggle bus bodies where we have joints that don't work, we have knee surgeries, we have cancers, we have diseases, our brains don't fully function and we have anxiety and depression. One day, everything from the top of our head to the bottom of our toes will be made new in Christ. But that's not the only reason to follow Jesus. The reason to follow Jesus is because of who he is. He loves us. He's a great God. And so Paul says this. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. He really loves the Philippians. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Do you remember how 3.1 started? 3.1 said, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And now 4.1 ends this, this kind of section right here. And he says, stand firm, not in our own strength, not by our own means, not with our own message, but he says to stand firm in the Lord. The same place where we have eternal joy and eternal hope. So what does it look like to be a gospel citizen? Here's how, not, here's how it does not look like. So there's these two ladies, Eodia and Yodia and Sintichi. And these ladies love Jesus. They love the gospel. They've worked for the gospel, but they are living as citizens of this earth. They have some type of fight. We don't know what it is. We don't know what it's about. It could have been that one said they were going to bring the pie to the church potluck, and the other one said they were going, and they both brought the same pie. We literally have no idea what it is. But what we do know is this. That's how not to be a gospel citizen. If you remember, the, the, the big idea is y'all are called to be gospel citizens. And so that means y'all live together. Y'all pursue Christ together. Y'all don't have these petty arguments. Y'all pray for each other. Y'all love each other. Y'all be with one another, standing firm together in Jesus Christ. That's what gospel citizens are called to. Not just called to look at our own interests, but the interests of others, like Jesus did, right? Back in Philippians 2. 
And so that's how not to live as a gospel citizen, but how to live as a gospel citizen is then seen in verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul says, help them out. They're in a low moment. They're not thinking as citizens of heaven right now. Come alongside of them and make peace between them. Friends, gospel citizens are going to care about one another. We sit in these seats. We come to church on Sundays. Maybe some of you are part of life groups. Maybe some of you do some things together throughout the week, whether it's Bible study or whatever else. But you know what, friends? We are called to care deeply about one another and not just say, hey, how was your week? Good, okay, me too. See ya. See you next week. We're called to be deeply invested and rooted in one another, or together rooted in Christ with one another. Y'all, we're called to be gospel citizens. And even though the flesh of the world is appealing, it's not going to be that true joy that you so long for. By God's grace, he's given us one another to be real and vital instruments of his grace in each other's lives so that together we might one day in glorious resurrected bodies live forever with the greatest and most fulfilling pursuit, Christ himself.